How about a round of introductions? My name is Dicax. I am your host. This is Elder Song, Clan Captain. And co-host. Yes. This is the Avenge 44 and Momar Raider. This is Fracture. Welcome, Fracture. Cool. So we should we move on to news in the world of Magic the Gathering? Let's. Alright. So first up, we're going to take this in chronological order is the Knights and Dragons dual deck. It's going to be released on April 1st. Um, the entire deck list for the Knights and the Dragons has been revealed on MTG Salvation. you put a link for that? Yes, you'll find a link to that in the show notes. I should have a reason to go look at the show notes now. Do you- you do, yeah. So I am not... I could quickly read the link if you would like. Say again. Uh, I'll go look at the, I'll go look at the show notes. Good call. You might enjoy other links in the show notes, too. Hehehe. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good, though. Alright, so do we want to go through the deck list on these at all, or...? Well... Let me ask this: What are the who are these decks for? These decks are for ca- casual players who want to have fun and play an interesting deck, and just open a deck up and each player take a half a deck and play. That's what they're meant for. But they're also good for people who like play formats like like Commander and Hundred Card Singleton. They want like some cards. They just want to buy a big bulk collection of cards instead of having to go and buy a bunch of cards individually. Like I personally love to buy these things just. To have, just to pick up the cards, because I always use random cards in decks like this. Uh-huh. So are, th- are there <laughs> cards in these decks that you would want for EDH? Or, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, there's... Yeah. Um, yeah, Knight of Rare card is the one that stands out. I mean, obviously that's the um, the big one in Knight, Knight Half. That's a really good one. Luxstone Warhammer is awesome. You know, that's always a good card to have in a deck, in a commander deck, or even or even in any deck, really. Um, looking from this list, not a whole lot of stuff in the knight deck, per se, because knights are typically a, a aggro-type style creature type, but the dragon deck, I'm sure, has plenty of stuff you would want to use in those formats. Well, the thing is, with um, some of the knights that have come out lately, uh, making a knight tribal deck is actually good kind of getting popular, and so there's several of them in here uh, that you would want to pick up for that, specifically. Yeah, I, I, I really, I like Knights as a tribe. But the thing about Knights, though, is that they tend to, they tend to make a lot of Knights that are just color holders, like, you know, Silver Knight, White Knight, Black Knight. These Knights, all they really do is they just, they, they're really good against a certain color and nothing else. The thing is, though, with most of those, is that they're very efficient. Um, they usually have Usually for two mana, what you're getting is a 2-2, so it's, you know, it passes the vanilla grizzly bear test, but then on top of that, usually you're getting first strike or some other form of combat trick, and then a protection from a color, which those things all together is, is great to have just for two mana. And just looking from these, just like kind of over, like kind of like skimming over his list, the, the dragon deck seems like more of a, um, 
seems like the one that I'd be more interested in picking card, picking the, the cards up individually for, you know, if, if you're looking at the cards themselves. Really? When I looked at the Dragon list, I kind of thought they basically put together a pretty good night deck and then realized at the last minute, oh, wait, there's supposed to be a second deck in this box. I mean, you get an O-Ring, you get a Griffin's Guide. Um, oh, I'm looking at the night deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dragon deck is kind of bad. Uh, you get a Bulgarian Hellkite, but that's kind of been around a lot. And then you, you get, get alternate art for Seeding Song and for Punishing Fire, but you get a lot of odd choices. Yeah, I guess you could say that. But, I mean, you do get a Borgon Hellkite, which is an amazing card. You get a Thunder Dragon. You get a... You get Punishing Fire. I mean, you, you get Ghost Fire. You get some all right, some all right burn spells and stuff. But they could have probably picked a better list of dragons, for sure. They could have picked dragons. That would have been great, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm actually looking at this, and there's not a whole lot of dragons in this Dragon Star deck. The shamans and the um, the one guy that makes them cheaper, I can understand. But things like Cinder Wall, Mud Button Torch Runner, um, Fire Belly Changeling, Blood Martin, like, why are these in here? These aren't dragons. These have nothing to do with dragons. Um, this is just typical wizards wanting to throw cards that nobody wants into a box. Which, when you click on the card, it would actually show you a new art instead of showing you the normal art for the card. Well, these links are to um, either the Gatherer page or they're to uh, magic, uh, magic Cards Info, and those places don't have the new art yet because the sets aren't specifically out yet, so they don't usually put them up. Although the new art for the um, Knight of the Reliquary looks a little silly, uh, but it's more anime-ish, I think, so if that's kind of your thing, then you might enjoy it. I can't see it very well, but it looks pretty cool to me. I don't like anime. Now, I, I agree with Fracture. I don't think it looks anime-ish, but I, I do think it looks kind of cartoonish. It looks more like um, like Lorwyn style, sort of like the like Kithkin art almost, sort of very fairy tale-ish, kind of. The other thing is that the um, the night deck comes with some some more multi-land things, or multi-color land things if you're looking for them. Uh, there's two grasslands in there, which are basically like the ghetto effect lands. But on the plus side, that Borgon Hellkite's pretty cool looking. Hellkite actually has a place in some um, some decks, uh, so that's actually a nice pickup. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, a good, he's a good commander card, actually. You know, he's also, I mean, he's just good any deck that can actually get him out reasonably. Old school Dragonstorm deck, so I'd love, love to have him just put four copies of him out one time. Goodbye, opponent. Yeah, he shows up in um, some Progenitus decks, too. Yeah, but if this thing came on, I'd probably buy it. I do overall think it's worth because picking up I, on a dollar amount, because the Knight of the Reliquary by itself is, I think, in the mid-teens as far as its value goes. Uh, also, no, the so, Knight is only, like, $7 at most right now. Oh, uh, went down? Yeah. Overall, though, I think the amount of value you're going to get out of this is probably over the $20 you'd spend on it. Maybe, but I'm, I wouldn't be sure about that, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I'm not actually seeing a lot of money cards in here, really. Or, like, cards that are, like, worth more than a couple of dollars apiece. So a lot of these, especially on the night side, a lot of these cards are just on commons. Well, the thing is, if you look at some of them, uh, the ones that I guess would be the quote-unquote money cards would be your Knight of the White Orchid, your Knight Exemplar, uh, your Knight of the Reliquary, uh, and your Luxonaut Warhammer. Yeah, none of those cards are really worth that much. I mean, by far, the, the most expensive card in the entire thing right here is not a Reliquary, and it's only like 6 75 I think, right now. 
I don't know. I just feel like you're paying a lot of money for, like, flavor and for some alternate art cards. Typically, though, if you're looking at how these all shake out, um, the dual decks that come out that have Planeswalkers in them generally tend to be a little bit better, and they have been getting better over the years. Um, and then the ones that uh, come out and don't have Planeswalkers in them all kind of fall within the same power and desirability level. Uh, this is very reminiscent of Phyrexia versus the Coalition, Elves versus uh, Goblins, and the Angels versus Demons ones. And that, the fact that there was one or two cards in there you might want, and then a lot of stuff that you weren't really sure about. And it, they don't... I mean, they, they fit. They work. Uh, I don't know how much how well they work online. Uh, they work in paper because it's another box they can stick into, into uh, Walmart to get people in. Well, this whole discussion is really just a big waste of time because this is a fake set. You know, it's an April Fool's joke, people. The case a lie, people. Yeah. No more serious note. Actually, I think the only April Fool's in here is that it's not really else. It, uh, knights versus dragons. It's knights versus random red stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they, they keep getting us hyped up. Well, trying to get us hyped up for a knights versus um, dragon star deck, but it's actually just it's actually just a turtles versus um, you know tigers star deck. The poor knights are chasing windmills. <laughs> Either way, a pretty unexciting dual deck, I think. So you mentioned one reason that you might buy these dual decks is to take a card or two out for Commander. And um, at PAX East, they announced uh, some of the new Commander. Yeah, Nin the Pain something or other uh, looked pretty cool. I'd like to take those decks to those too if they have them out. They don't have those yet. They just have a couple of them spoiled so far. There's some interesting flavor coming out of those. Uh, they're trying to make some more multicolor. Uh, or not multicolor, multiplayer geared cards. And so you're getting things like uh, Archangel of Strife, which is a uh, two white, five colorless rare. Creature Angel flies, and as it comes into the battlefield, each player chooses war or peace. Creatures controlled by players who chose war get plus three to their attack. Creatures controlled players by ch- creatures controlled by players who chose peace get plus three to their defense, and it's a six six flyer. So it's kind of interesting that they're going to be putting more of these cards that you will literally only see in multiplayer games, because outside of that, the effect is not as good. Plus, they're going to be plugging some color holes uh, with Commander, because as it stands now, you can make most colored decks that you would want, but your choice of generals for some of the off-colors, like, say, red-blue, might not be as good, and there's definitely very few legends that would be like red-green-blue, uh, and they're going to be kind of plugging some of those holes with the set, which is also going to help. Like, um, like, 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 red, white, blue has, like, maybe one commander? Yeah, basically, I think what they said was all of these uh, decks, because they're making five of them, they're all going to be wedge decks. So you're going to get one commander in them that's going to be, like you said, red, white, blue. And then in that deck, you will also have a blue-red legend and a white-red legend. That's pretty cool. I hope they'll have these online. Yeah, they said they're going to be releasing them both online and in paper. Uh, now, they're going to be more expensive than what we're used to. Uh, they're going to be 100-card decks, and I think they said they're going to be either 30 or $35. Um, mm-hmm. But they, you're also going to be getting, I think, more rares, too, to kind of offset the cost. That's still pretty reasonable if they're well-constructed decks. That's about how much the Vin decks are worth, huh? I mean, the Vin decks are worth at least 25 or something. Yeah, the other thing to keep in mind with these is that they are planning on releasing 50 total new cards for this Commander pack that will only show up in this set. Uh, they will still be uh, legacy legal, they said, 
and they'll be legal and vintage, um, but they won't affect standard at all. But mostly they're going to be multiplayer cards, like that one I mentioned, the Archangel of Strife. It's not a legend. It's one of the new cards. Uh, one of the ones they previously spoiled was uh, some kind of dragon card that was, I think, six casting cost, and when you cast it, you pick a person, and everyone but that person gets a 5-5 five, five flyer. Kind of like Dodgeball. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to this set. Um, so far, what they've shown has been pretty good. Uh, they showed a green-white, or not green-white, uh, yeah, green-white-black legend uh, who's... Casting cost is one colorless less for every creature you have in your graveyard, and then once during your turn, you can cast a creature out of your graveyard as long as he's in play. And they also spoiled at PAX another blue-red legendary creature, Vidalcan Wizard, Nin the Pain Artist. Uh, tap him, pay one red, one blue, and X. Nin the Pain Artist deals X damage to target creature. That creature's controller draws X cards. He is a 1-1 creature. So it's another interesting one where you can say, who wants to lose a creature and draw some cards? Yeah, I think they've done a really good job with the with these commander decks. Not only hyping them, but the design of the cards seems very well suited to multiplayer, and I think it'll get people interested in the format. Well, that, and then later this year, the new uh, From the Vault set is going to be all Legends also. See? Smart. Synergy. Product Synergy. She did have the legend kill right there, though. She needs, whatever her name is, she needs to be in that set to all put all the legends. She might be. Uh, one of the things they're going to be doing in that set, they said, is um, they're kind of, there was some wordplay that struck people as being interesting because they said the usual, some of these, you know, all these legends, most of these legends will have new art. Uh, they will all be black-bordered, and for some of them, this will be the first time they've ever been in black-bordered. And if you read into that, what that means is that some of the Portal 3 Kingdoms guys will be in there uh, because they're the only legends in the game so far that were never that never had a black border version of them, which doesn't really mean much to us online because we already got all those guys in uh, the Master Editions, but in paper, some of those guys go for like two, three hundred dollars That's cool. So from that to Epic Fail, um, it was released on Magic Arcana. The... Uh, I guess it's the packaging for action, whether it ends up being um, New Phyrexia or Mirrored Impure. So they show the packaging for Mirrored Impure, which is predominantly white, and then New Phyrexia, which is strange colored. But So they continue. I'm so hopeful that it would be the Mirrens that would win, just because I like the Mirrens more than I like the Phyrexians, but... That's even a bigger tell looking at that art because there's a lot of work and time that went into for the Phyrexian design box, and then the mirrored and pure one just looks like it's almost completely white, and they had to throw it together to get some mock-ups. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. I don't. Uh, I guess the art for that looks fine, but yeah, the the uh, I think there's some pretty compelling reasons why they would go for new Phyrexia over the mirrored and pure set. And I gotta say, for this whole thing, I've been just role playing the side of the, of the Mirrodins. And just like, I've been like, this. every time I, every time I even draft, I don't even go, I don't even bother going in fact, I just go white, white, red, uh, aggro every time. Yeah, I mean, I've gotta say, personally, I would, I would like for the Mirrodins to win, but like I said, I think just story wise, they've got a lot more reasons to go New Phyrexia. Either way, though, I, I don't think we're going to get a set that's going to be all Phyrexia or even all uh, Mirrodin. It's probably going to end up being the exact opposite of what um, 
uh, Scars of Mirrodin was, where you had a certain percentage of them were Phyrexian, a small percentage of them were Phyrexian, and the majority of it was Mirrodin. We'll probably just get the opposite this time around, where the majority of it is Phyrexian, and there'll be a small percentage that's Mirrodin. Yeah, I think you're right. Yep, it sounds like there's general consensus. Because the other thing to keep in mind is that if they if they go one way or the other, that means they have to pretty much completely dump out um, some concepts that they introduced with this set, and then it wouldn't draft right at all. Because if you had the set go completely Phyrexian, that means that you would completely be getting rid of Metalcraft, and then if someone wanted to draft Metalcraft for, let's say, a booster draft, they wouldn't be able to really do it, because that last pack would be a pack that would basically say no cards for you. So question, is that supposed to be corn on the, on the fat pack package? Yeah, but he's already shown up in some of the art previously, also. <laughs> I thought you said corn. So I was like, dude, you're stuck on corn, man. I mean, they're a good band and all, but... They actually have already spoiled enough Mirren and Phyrexian cards that you could probably say, yeah, you're right, they're going to be like... I think it's going to be like a 70-30 split, like you said, like there was in Scars of Mirrodin, where I think most of the cards are going to be Phyrexian, but then you're going to have the smaller segment, the, the Mirren cards, for the reasons you just said. Either way, I'm looking forward to get to whatever comes out, because I want some Sutra Priests. I'm just, I don't know, I guess, I'm just tired of all this, like, drama here. Like, they're trying to, like, keep us in the action, but at this point, no pun intended, this, <laughs> at this point, just ready for, uh... That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Just ready for the uh, the actual set to come out, because when it comes out next month and we don't know anything about it, it's kind of sad. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I guess some of the rumors going around is that when they send things out for the draft, for uh, like the booster draft, they're planning on having the packaging be completely stark and just say action on it, and people won't even know until they open up the boxes. And I'm like, why the hell did you even do that? They, the, the mistake they made was telling us that it's already decided. I mean, I guess you can sort of deduce that, but just to that, I think that was their biggest mistake. Well, it kind of goes hand-in-hand with the, them originally saying um, that the players were somehow going to be, because they, they had a lot of different ideas leading up to this, where they initially were saying that the, the players were going to somehow factor into who was going to win, and then after all that hoopla, they just turned around and said, no, nah, we already knew who it was going to be all along. Like, well, then why did you even tell us this other stuff? Yeah, exactly. I think I don't think telling us that it was already said it was their mistake. I think it was telling us that we, again, at the beginning, that we actually had a, a chance of influencing and making us think that. Because I think in, like in, in, full, like, in full disclosure, you know, they had to have told us that we didn't have really a choice here because otherwise they'd just be, like, completely lying. So, I, you know, I like that they came out and said, no, you can't affect it. But I wish they hadn't even implied in, in the beginning that we had a chance to because then it just sort of ruined our expectations <laughs> at that point. See, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, both of them, both the of those are mistakes. It. I mean, to to imply that by choosing a faction, we would somehow influence the outcome. But did they ever say that? Yeah, they did. So There was a lot of this uh, when, um, not Scars, but the other one that recently came out. I always get the names of these sets confused. Besieged. Yeah, when Miriam Besieged was on its way coming out, there was a lot of this choose-a-side kind of a thing. And I do remember them saying uh, a while ago that you would have a, your choice of picking which side you wanted to fight for at the pre-releases, and that was going to somehow factor into what happened. Even though it also doesn't make sense, because they do make these sets several years in advance. So even like before Scars came out, they had to have known that the third set was already completely decided. So I, I think I don't, I'm not, I can't actually recall that they ever explicitly said 
you know, you have a chance to influence this. I think it was more of, they didn't say that you did. It was more of an implied, like all that, like Brexit saying, all that choose-your-side choose propaganda that made people think that they could do it. It was more of a sort of an implied, you can change the course of this war. See, I, I think that would, I, yeah, I think that would be okay, but we disagree, and we've had this conversation before, so. It, you're, you're right. You could deduce that one of the sides won, and, you know, it's already been decided. Obviously, they have to commit to a set well in advance, but it's kind of like... In the end, this whole thing just kind of makes me wonder why they did this in the first place, because the whole idea of let, let's keep it a secret, and, you know, we're doing it for story reasons so that no one knows the outcome of this. Well, don't you want to do that for all of your sets? Because they're all an, an ongoing storyline. Uh, why is this one realistically any different than the rest of them? Why why is this one going to be one that's going to be such a hush-hush and we don't want the players to know as opposed to every other year when we've had these things go I on? like the general idea. I just think the execution was really poor. I mean, the way it is now, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Christmas and letting you know that you're going to get the BB gun and, you know, asking, are you still excited about Christmas? Well, probably not. I mean, I know what I'm going to get, so... In a way, I'm kind of glad that I'm playing online now and not in paper, because I'm wa I'm wondering if they're going to try and hold back spoilers until the last possible second for this set. Ooh. And that's always a, a grim proposition going into pre-release weekend, uh, having a clue as to what you're going to go after. Makes sense. Wow, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, the implication is that there would be no spoilers. Maybe there'll be twice as many spoilers. Because... Uh, maybe. I just, I just dread uh, back when I first started playing this game back in the 90s when you would go to pre-release weekend excited because it was new cards, but you had no idea what was in those packs, and you honestly had no idea what to go after, and so all you ended up doing that day was picking things you thought were cool and then getting crushed. Yeah, like that's the benefit of Magic Online. You get to watch everybody else draft it first and then learn what all the good strategies are, and you come into your pre-release knowing a lot more than they did. So... We don't know a lot about action, but we know something about M12, and we also know something about the next block that will be released after M12. Shake, a.k.a. Innistrad. Shake. Talk about M12 first? Uh, yeah. So I guess they've released some art for Magic 2012. Now, I was a bit confused as to whether this is art for the M12 set, or art for Duels of the Planeswalkers? Looks like it's for M12. It's, actually, it's art for Duels of the Planeswalkers 2012. I think the implication is that you have the, the duels coming out, and you have M12 following it, and they're assuming there's going to be some kind of parity between the two, and that's why they're thinking that it'll apply to M12. The rumors I've heard run around are that the parody is going to be that they might start doing Duels of the Planeswalkers much like they are doing um, the M M11, M10, M12 sets where every summer you'll get a new version of both. Cool. I'll do it. So it looks like Soren and Gideon are going to be reprinted in M12. Yes, along with um, Jace, Garuk, and Chandra, although the versions of them that will be in there is still up in the air. I mean, they realistically could put new Jace in and new Chandra in um, just to have mostly new Planeswalkers in the set, or they could just keep them the way they are.
I don't know. I personally very much doubt that they're going to make any changes at all to the Planeswalker lineup. Do you mean that there will not be a Gideon and Soren, or that the actual mechanics behind these cards will not be different than they are now? Both. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think they're going to print a Gideon and a Soren in a core set, and I also don't think that they're going to change the abilities on any of these Planeswalkers. I'm not sure about that. I personally think that Gideon is um, more confusing than a Johnny is, so that is a good reason to not put him in the core set. And I do think that... Uh, uh, what's her name? Chandra? Liliana? No, Nissa. Yeah, yeah, Liliana. No, I was thinking wrong. Liliana. I think Liliana is a much better planeswalker than Soren is, specifically for his casting costs. It's a little out of, out of whack. Uh, however, the thing to keep in mind, though, is that they have been printing those same three Planeswalkers for, like, three sets now, and it might be time just to rotate them. Yeah, but, I mean, to me, it doesn't seem like they wouldn't rotate just those Planeswalkers. I mean, it, I guess the thing is that I just don't feel like they would do that kind of change. Like, why bring out Liliana and bring out a Johnny? I mean, those are, like, the two... Those are two iconic Planeswalkers for their color, and even the other three original Planeswalkers... And then bring in two other ones that are just pretty much subpar. I just don't feel like they would do that to a core set. And I think, you know, someone else mentioned, like, these, like, rumor, like, you know, like, the rumor forms that, you know, they designed these Planeswalkers originally to be, like, the most iconic characters possible for their particular colors. I mean, there is nothing more iconic for black than Liliana or for white than Ajani is currently. And it just seems strange that they would bring those guys out and bring in these other two Planeswalkers that are just, like I said, subpar, and they don't really have that much to do with their color, especially. Well, the only reason I can think of for doing that is that in the fall, uh, if the pictures are to be believed, the Innistrad set is looking to have a new Liliana in it. So, I mean, they previously had Jace and Jace out at the same time, uh, but they could be rotating Liliana out because they're going to have another Liliana coming out in the fall, and uh, Johnny is going to be in the new dual deck coming out this fall, so... I mean, there are multiple examples, though, of, like, them having two Planeswalkers of the same... I mean, both Chandras are currently legal and standard, both Jaces. Um, at, at one point, while both the Johnnies were legal, uh, last before, right, just prior to rotation, I mean, I just don't feel like that's going to be a limiting factor, having both Liliana Besses out at the same time. True. I guess it's more my hope that they will do something different with the Planeswalkers, just because it's been the same ones over and over again. And whatever they do, it'll help draw or drive the price of Gideon's down. I personally thought, like, I, I, you said, like, they have been reprinting the same, like, cycle of Planeswalkers over and over again, and at some point it gets kind of repetitive, but my thought was if they were ever going to change up the lineup, they would either not do it until all the Planeswalkers have been reprinted with a second version that could reprint all the second versions of them, or they would do it with five completely different Planeswalkers. The fact that they're, like, mixing and matching the old Planeswalkers and the new ones here in this, like, picture doesn't seem right to me. Well, either way, we'll find out here in a few months. It's not too much longer, honestly, until the summer. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. I'm just, I'm also not sure where people are getting, like, the, the rumor that they think these might be reprinted with different abilities, because, like, I don't think that, I mean, I don't ever think that Wizards are going to choose a core set as their medium for producing new Planeswalkers. Yeah, that's where they've been producing some other new stuff. That's where the Titans came from. That's where the new, newest dual lands came from. I mean, true, but just as Planeswalkers, I just don't think 
I think the Planeswalkers are far too iconic, too big for them to be changing their abilities and core sets. Like, you gotta admit that, like, in terms of, like, core sets, they're, they have never reprinted, like, a new version of, like, a storyline character ever in a, in a core set. True, but this new version of the core set, they've only been doing it now for two years, and this will be a third. So there's really no precedence. They've, they've already kind of changed the precedence by having them go yearly and then have only half the cards be new, or half the cards be reprints as opposed to previously. Even including Planeswalkers in this core set was kind of a big jump when they did that in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see it being remotely possible, but I just, I, I don't think I would like it, honestly. Like, I think what you said, like, the only reason why it might be good is because it would drive down the price of Gideon's. Potentially, they printed the same one, but like I said, I think his abilities might be too complicated for our core set. I think that's probably what fueled the rumors of they might be giving new abilities to everybody, just because... It would, it, would, it would feel kind of odd to bring them in there because they're a little more complicated. And then if they're going to bring those guys in and leave them the way they are, then why would you have three other Planeswalkers again that are the same exact thing? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is why I think they're going to probably just reprint the same five again. The other thing to look at it as is um, where that art actually came from was the new duels of the Planeswalkers. Uh, I know that we are an MTGO clan, but... They're adding some new features to the Duels of the Planeswalkers game, one of which is the ability to play an arch-enemy game. And they haven't revealed too much about that, but it looks like you pick a team of people, and it's either going to be you and some friends locally against the AI or maybe some other version of that, which is kind of interesting. It kind of changes up the way that that plays out, and it looks like that the, uh, the table they're going to have for that looks kind of interesting, too, because it's a big, uh, like, octagon. Yeah, I saw that. That looks pretty cool. It would be nice if they still allowed you to edit, edit your uh, deck in that, but I don't think they're going to do that either. All right, I think that's enough about 2012. Yeah, man. So, the next block, Shake. The first set is Innistrad. You already mentioned it. Yeah, the, the set symbol, I think, is supposed to be a mirror image of the throne that they have what looks to be Liliana sitting on in the picture. Uh, it also looks kind of like a three-headed hydra of some sort. Uh, all we really know about it is that they said it's going to be kind of a gothic-slash-horror set, um, and we just have that one image of Liliana sitting in the throne, grinning, uh, not having any of the plague scars on her that she's had in the previous versions of herself, and there's a dead body laying off to the side. Oh, that's why she looks better. There's no scars. No wonder. Yeah, so I guess the theory is she somehow cured herself of whatever the heck it was she had. Um, uh, other speculation that's been driven or derived from just the fact that she's going to be in that set is that there might also be a reprint of um, Garrick in this set just because he's always chasing after her. And it also makes sense because they reprinted uh, or they made new versions of Jace in, Zendikar, or in the Zendikar block and also of Chandra in the Zendikar block. Yeah, that's the kind of rumor I can get behind. I think Garrett will probably appear in this set in some form. It would be nice, too, because then at that point, all of the original Planeswalkers will have had some kind of um, reprint, uh, the only one of which wouldn't be able to then show up in a core set because of his reprint would be a Johnny. Well, that's a lot of news for a week that seemed like it had no news. Yeah, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes spoiled stuff. Uh, also, if anyone's interested, there's been quite a few pictures spoiled uh, for action uh, on the wizard site, mainly in the form of wallpapers. 
some of which look really, really cool. Uh, the one that I liked the most was a picture of, I think it's called Caged Sun, and it looks like the white mirrored sun in a giant ornamental cage. Not exactly sure what that kind of a card it would include itself on, but it's a nice picture. Where's that? I don't see that. Uh, if you're in the MTG Salvation forums, if you look down oh. past where you got the information from Fortnite, you'll see a lot of threads that say action, and then it'll say Argent Mutation Wallpaper, or action uh, alloy mirror brutalizer exarch wallpaper and if you keep going down there's eventually one that says uh, sun cage or cage of suns or something like that anyway it's just um, art spoils from the next set and they look kind of interesting caged sun that's what it is well anything to add to all that no I think I think that's good I mean I really am looking for the new sets coming out I mean I, I, I do even though I complain about it I want to see what the new you know the third set is obviously in the scars block plus Anistrad looks awesome, so, um, you know, I, I, even though I can play, I'm still pretty happy with the way Wizards has been releasing their sets so far. They look pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though I haven't been the biggest fan of the Scars block, uh, there's been a number of cards that have come out, and that's these sets that I have picked up and play aggressively with. So, in a way, I think that I ended up liking them a lot more than I thought that I would. And I'm actually looking forward to uh, action, mainly because I want to get that red-white sword. Yeah, I'm personally actually happy that we're just going to be visiting a new plane with the new set, the new block that is. So I got to admit, I was kind of disappointed when they announced that we're going to we were going to be going back to the to Mirrodin again. I'm kind of like, no, we kind of already did that. I think the block actually had a plane from plane. The the block that's coming up actually, I think, had a plane from plane chase on it. I think I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. I don't know. I just think it's kind of sad when you have. Like a, like a fantasy story company that can't think of a new storyline <laughs> or a new world to play for a set in. Oh, we're out of ideas. Let's go back to some of our old stories. Um, it might not be that. It could be a situation where they are trying to do some kind of a rolling storyline that they're going to go back to eventually. Um, I mean, we have had quite a few blocks come out in the last decade that did have that were pretty much all new. This is, I think, the first time in a while they've really gone back to something outside of the core sets. No, I, I mean, I agree, because when you had, like, the first, like, 11 or 12 that were all set in, like, Dominaria, and you, then it was premiered and they started going to a new direction, so I guess, I don't know, I just felt like, you know, they were going to just keep plane jumping over and over again, and then they decided to come back to Mirrodin, which, to me, I don't know, I guess it makes sense to kind of go back to where you started, but still, it just, I don't know, I just couldn't help but feel like we'd already done that. I mean, because at least when you had Dominaria, if you had, like, a fully realized world where they just, they might have been, like, continent jumping, going back and forth. In that, whereas Mirrodin was kind of presented as, you know, one entire world, so it's kind of hard to revisit that. I'm waiting for the sequel, the sequel to the Champions block. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. That set went over like a wet brick. Yeah, that one, I've heard that's the least popular set they've made in recent memory. And uh, Home's where the heart is. The biggest problem I bet I remember hearing that that set had was that no one really wanted to... Um, <laughs> After going to one pre-release in it, no one ever wanted to draft it again in paper at a tournament because no one wanted to write down the names of those cards on the deck list because they were all a bunch of just crazy Japanese names. I also felt it was just too gimmicky. Like, I don't know. I just, at least with, like, the, the sets that are coming out, they seem like they're actual, like, real fantasy worlds, whereas this one is just kind of like, let's do Feudal Japan. And you're just, like, we've already got that in real in real life. Why do we want to go back to a set like this? Yeah, if they were going to do something like that, they could have at least gone, you know, completely off the rails and had it been Ninjas versus Pirates. Should be the next duel, Ninjas versus Pirates. 
<laughs> they need to print more pirates then. Ninja <laughs> Turtle Samurai. That will be the dual deck and it doesn't make one sense. Well, yeah, yeah. But anyway, Innistrad, new, <laughs> new plane, new concept. I like it. Let's keep, let's keep doing that. Sounds good. Hey, it's been a while since we created a new world. Should we make a new world or something? Maybe we should think of something new. Maybe we should. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I think the set that they should probably go back to would be cool if I go back to Ravnica. That'd be cool. I like kind of finish up that storyline, though. Well, you thought at the end of Mirrodin they were done with that, too. True. Well, they kind of were done with that storyline. This is uh, just a different... Basically, what this is is Phyrexia invading someplace, and they just picked Mirrodin as the place to invade. They could have easily had this be Phyrexia, you know, invades Alara. Not really, though, because remember they were saying, like, at the end of the, the like, Mirrodin, like, Mirrodin novels, that they had, like, some kind of seed of Phyrexia that was already there. So, like, they were implying that the story was, like, already existing, like, back in the, at the end of the Mirrodin block, and that they were just reviving it now, which seemed kind of annoying to me because that whole set seemed to me to have a lot of closure because I read the books, I played the game, and I felt like that set was over, and that they were like, no, we actually planned, we planted a seed there of Phyrexia that they'd already been there, and they were getting ready to take over, and we're just revisiting it. Technically, don't do that in all their stories, though, because there's always some kind of a reason to go back to someplace. Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's, that's, that's why the, the Scars block annoyed me so much, because now that they are going back to Mirrodin, which to me, I mean, I guess that's not a bad set to go back to. It was kind of interesting as their first sort of break away from Dominari, like going out to the plains, but the, it's just a president it says, but now they, now they can like think of an excuse to have to any block they want to, you know, for any reason whatsoever, and be able to justify it with some kind of story excuse that, well, we, you know, we told you about it back in the first and you just weren't paying close enough attention. Well, you might eventually get that again with other sets, too, because realistically, there's no way to really go back and have more slivers show up unless you deal with uh, all of that information again. So far, the only time they've ever reprinted or made new slivers was in the Time Spiral block, which involved a lot of time travel and Dominaria's history in the first place. Uh, so, theoretically, if they ever wanted to make any more Eldrazi, because they all are tied so heavily in the Zendikar plan, they'd have to have something to do with that. I mean, they do. You know, just look at the Time block, though. That's, that's the biggest excuse yet. Like, wait, how are we going to go back to Dominaria? Oh, we're going to go back in time. I mean, just think about how, how cheesy that sounds, just on, like, a, a concept art level. You can always you can always write write your way into something. And no matter how... It can be ridiculous as it can be. You can still write your way into it. It's like, oh, no, uh, Earth is dead. Well, okay, well, he just came back to life with a magic stone that you know that you had to rub three times. That that, 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 that worked. Exactly. That's my point. That now, that now that they've done this thing with the Mirrodin block, they can just, you know, pull out these ridiculous, like, you know, claims anywhere they want to now. They just write, like, like they've been to, like, write a new story for it. In a way, though, I think Time Spiral actually did have a, a lot of interesting things in it, um, mainly because you get to see a lot of odd versions of cards with the the alternate uh, reality cards, like the you know black getting the wrath of God instead of white, and then you also had some other things like instead of this pl- uh, legend becoming evil, he became good. So here's what the white version of him would look like. Yeah, yeah, the set concept was awesome because he had, you know, you had the first set which was the past of magic, you had the second set which was the present, and you had the third set which was the future. It was actually a really cool concept, card set wise and like card wise. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I just feel like this, the the kind of tricks they're willing to pull 
to bring back old stuff and reuse old cards and old concepts just seems a bit far-fetched to me. And I don't know, have you ever read the, have you read the, like, the novels for the Time Spiral set? This is some of the worst writing I've ever seen for Magic. It's kind of embarrassing. I haven't been able to read a Magic book after the Arena book back when it first came out. Yeah, well, the new ones have gone downhill. I should have to buy them now. Like, you used to be able to just get them at a fat price, and then you actually go buy those things. I mean, what's kind of annoying to me is as a story reader, I used to read all those. Like, they had, like, each set had its own story, and they printed out as a novel, and they're just interesting. Just, like, the story actually was, like, like, if there wasn't even a Magic the Gathering game, those books would be worth reading on their own just because they were really good fantasy books. Whereas now it's sort of like they're just, like, a companion to the set, and often they're not even printing three books for a set. They're just printing one book that's the entire story of the set. Just, like, the way that they've kind of compromised story just seems kind of, I don't know, this just seems bad to me. It's like, I get this one decision that Wizards I don't really approve of. Uh, I don't think the sales of those books are very high, though. I think that might have influenced that. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, I would honestly say, though, that I think reading the Magic books is actually what got me into fantasy and got me to read, like, when I was younger. So I have, like, maybe a biased opinion on those, but I just remember reading those books and really, really enjoying them and just reading these new ones are just, it's been kind of, it's been just, it's sad to see how they've gone, like, downhill since then. But anyway. All right, I guess that's it for um, new stuff. Mm-hmm. New news, I mean. Yep. So have any of you guys played in the mirrored and block drafts on MTGO? Did you even know they're available? I think the only drafts I did for Mirrodin was um, Mirrodin Besiege times three. Oh, this is old Mirrodin. You can do you can do Mirrodin and Darksteel Fifth Dawn drafts right now. Oh really? How long are those going to be going on for? They'll right be now? going on from Friday, March 18th, to Wednesday, March 30th, in the eight-player draft room, for ten tickets. Oh, that's not bad. Third and fourth place get one Darksteel booster pack and one Fifth Dawn pack. Second place gets one Mirrodin booster pack, one Dark Steel booster pack, and one Fifth Dawn. And first place gets two Mirrodin booster packs, one Dark Steel, and one Fifth Dawn. And a QP. Oh. And I mean, you'll also oh. be getting a War Mark. Well, I guess they're going to still use those or something. Uh, who knows? Probably for the third set somewhere. Oh, I, I think it might be worth it to play some of those just because there are actually a lot of cards in there that are good, like Legacy and. Commander, like the swords, actually are pretty sweet. I would love to open up some of the swords on Magic Online. It's actually a good place to get the artifact lands, too, because those are not, as commons, as far as commons go, those are not very cheap to get anymore. They're all like a quarter apiece. Some of them, actually, the blue one, I believe, is 35 cents a piece, which, if you're trying to get a full set of all of them, isn't necessarily affordable. Yeah, and there are quite a few good cards to draft in that set. They're, like, money-wise, that will get you back the cost of the booster packs a lot of times, I would think. Yeah, uh, things like the mocks that's in there. And considering there's no mythic rarity back then, they're a little easier to pick up. Uh, you're, you're harder to get rares. Uh, and also, <clears throat> uh, dang it, I'm forgetting the name of it. The, uh, oh yeah, the Ravager. The two casting cost modular guy that you can sacrifice artifacts to give him plus one, plus one counters. Arcbound Ravager, and also uh, Aether Vile. Aether Vile's price has gone way down, though, uh, thanks to the getting four of them in the uh, Legacy deck. Yeah, and also, like I said, the two swords, uh, Light and Shadow, and Ice and, or Fire and Ice, Ice and Fire, whatever it is. Yeah, they're still going for 11 bucks online. So, yeah, Mirrodin drafts. They're 
not that exciting, but it's hey, something. Yeah. And do you all know about this Scars and Mirrodin block constructed faction tournament on March 27th? This is how you use your war marks. You use five Mirren war marks oh, yeah. and five Phyrexian war marks, depending on the event. Three rounds Swiss. You know the pain. I think it's kind of pathetic, actually. Like, I mean, like the prizes for that event are so pathetic. I mean, just to imagine like what you had to do just to get those war marks, like playing all those drafts. You know, at least playing at least five drafts or playing like a few seals and just things like that. It just seems kind of pathetic that they're gonna do that and like offer a constructed format where they're not providing like booster packs or anything like that. So to, you know, they're just letting you go in and. I don't know, and the prices just seem really sad. <laughs> prices seem really sad. Yeah, but it's free. Come on. I don't know. Uh, I don't uh, think that's really an excuse. Get events, get the tickets, get the warmarks. True. True. But uh, anyway, that's what the warmarks will, how they will be used. So now you know. I probably won't be doing those. Hopefully that means that, that once the war marks are done and they're done dealing with them, that they will take them out of my collection. Yeah, hopefully you're right about that. While they're at it, they can have my Planeswalker cards too because I'm tired of them screwing up my filtering when I'm making a deck. Yeah, I agree with that too. Do you guys actually own any of those Planeswalker cards that were yeah. made? The gold border ones? So you know what I'm talking about then, right? Sometimes when you're making a deck in the deck editor and you go to filter for say classic or standard, all of a sudden a bunch of your Planeswalker cards will show up as having zero uh, in the count and screw up your filtering entirely. I know, I just entirely. prefer not to have them in my collection. They're fine for what they do, um, and as a format it actually would have been interesting if they had supported it in some way, shape, or form, because it does give everyone equal footing to make decks with. It's just, uh, they drop the ball with that, and then the fact they are screwing up the deck editor just makes them almost even worse than worthless. I don't even want them in my collection anymore. All right. I'm sorry, I'm just checking out the license for Angelic War so that I can make my Seraphim Clan t-shirt. And I'm actually <laughs> trying to figure out if um, we even need a license, but I'm not a lawyer, so. Well, Would that be non-commercial use, though, if I make my own t-shirt? And yeah. Even if I gave you one, or but I guess if I sold them, what if I sold them at cost? That wouldn't be commercial. No, it wouldn't. Awesome. I'm going for it. So what do you want this t-shirt to say? I'm thinking black. You think black? Black t-shirt? I don't know. I don't really like black, to be Neither honest. Neither do I. So, what color do you like? It's me like tie-dye, like all five colors of magic. <laughs> If it's going to be seraphim, then angels typically are white. Wouldn't it just need to be a white t-shirt? What do you think of that, Eldritch? I don't know. I mean, white or black just seems to me to be a little bit tame. Like, I, I would prefer to, like, have some kind of other color there. So, like, I don't know. If I was going to take, like, a color, I'd look at the palette. But, like, I really love the color scheme on the on our main page. I think that came out very awesome. Uh, not to toot my own horn there, but uh, I uh, definitely too, think uh, that, like, the, like, the, like, a goldish yellow too, uh, color... From like the front page would look pretty sweet, or like some of like the blue highlights from like the uh, platinum angel would look cool as a color. Mm. Or solid scheme from an angel card would be what cool. What about just? Does it have to be a solid color? Just a taupe. 
Yeah, but I like kind of I like gold, like goldish yellow as a color for a t-shirt would be kind of cool. It's kind of eye-catching, and I don't know, not that hard to print things on or find. Just do it like do it like a silverish color. Or you can be really bold and just go with a purple shirt. Oh, tie dye, dude. Just like red, white, yellow, yellow, red, white, you know, black, green. Just mix all together and make a shirt. Tie dye is the worst invention ever. So no, <laughs> never. <laughs> Vetoed. Or better yet, make make five different shirts for each of the subclans and have them be their corresponding colors. So cool. I'm thinking uh, a couple of different ideas. Just keep it simple, right? Obviously, simple, clean, right? Who said keep simple? We like things complicated over here. Yeah, exactly. I think the simpler it is, because like I went through like when we were making the website and all that, like Blake talking was really like drilling me on the whole make it simple because people are just inherently like things that are to be like easily understood. So I think this, you know, Seraphim, our website address, you know, Magic Online Clan somewhere on there. Maybe a picture, like our logo or something, and then that should be pretty What's much What's a logo? Well, to give you a for instance, to give you a for instance, the, um, if you look at Facebook versus, say, MySpace or any of those other places, one of the reasons Facebook, I think, won that uh, uh, war, so to speak, is the fact that it was the cleaner interface to use and there was less crap on it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it had a bunch of fancy stuff on it, but it doesn't matter. Whenever you, people just want a simple, nice, you know, effective way to. to so I thought maybe just on the front it would say Seraphim, and then on the sleeves it would say maybe like SeraphimClan.org or Seraphim. I guess the front could say Seraphim, a Magic Online Clan, or maybe like on the back at the very top, a really small print. It says a magic online clan. Have you already picked out a place to to produce these shirts from? No, I haven't. Okay, because that might impact your decision. Because a lot, depending upon where you go through, some places can do certain things and some places can't. Well, I want what I want. I'm going to create what I want in my mind, and then I'm going to go to the place that can create what I have in my mind. That's the way I'm going to go about it. Sounds yeah. good to me. I will not be limited. Who will not be censored? By what you're able to do and not do with your little printer. <laughs> Is that how you're going to talk to the guys? <laughs> your little printer. That's right. So, well, I want to give this some more thought before I purchase a t-shirt, but I'm really keen on that. Would you wear one? The thing to consider when you do that is, like, the, the price obviously dramatically decreases the more you buy. So I think if you're going to do that, you'd have to – and I guess it would be kind of cool just to figure out how much interest we have. And in terms of we have a lot, we could even, like, use our own font, like, make up our own font. The way we don't have to worry about any kind of commercial conflicts there and just print up sheet you know, with that. Dude, if, you, if you're feeling, like, uh, really wrong about it, the font is only 18 bucks. I mean, I'm happy to buy that. Oh, well, in that case, <laughs> why not? It's much easier than making a new right, font. Right. Unless you want to make a new font. I mean, I think it'd be cool to make a new font, but I'd rather spend my time doing more productive things. I'm making trophies, you know. So you mentioned the logo. Where's the logo? It's the logo that pops up when, when you do your, your podcast. 
I guess you could use that, but that's not really a logo. It's also the logo that's on all the YouTube videos. Yeah, I would do this. Stone. That's the shirt color I would use. Stone. Is it a solid color? Is it a solid color, or is it one of those colors with a little bit of crackle in it? That'd be good. A heather stone. It's just what it should say. Anyway. So maybe we should go to the price check. Looks like Vingevine's going way up. I guess this is due to the green-white quest deck, or what's um, reinvigorated everybody's interest in Vingevine? I mean, I think some of it might be extended, just that green-white and white tend to be very popular colors and extended, just like in the band deck, lots of Vingevine. I guess, and the fact that like Control seems to be getting more popular, obviously you're going to have aggro kind of rising up out of the thing to compete with it, so mid-range aggro seems pretty popular. And Vingevine's a pretty key card, and I mean, if you're going to go mid-range aggro, typically you're going to have green, and Vingevine's a pretty strong card in that, club, that kind of deck. I mean, overall, like, the prices, I mean, there's not, I, I guess there's not really anything that dramatic to talk about in terms of prices. Like, I think Tesseract went up, like, maybe a little bit less than a dollar, and I, Ink Moth Nexus went up, I think it went from, like, I think it's, like, eight twenty-five now, so it went up, like, two, like, two dollars, something like that. Uh, so those are going up, and like I said, like I said last podcast, actually, that it was time to buy those lands, well, there you go. You should have bought those number six. And then I'll probably keep, well, I mean, I probably will stay around that price that I mentioned, but it could go up a little bit higher just because lands, like I said, are pretty popular. And those, like, those lands are actually appearing in a lot of, like, non-infect decks just because they're awesome. And then Koth, like I said, still around 19, not really changing that much. He's not really doing, too, like, I think like he's talked about before, he's not probably, probably not going to go up above 20, or at least he'll be around 20. I don't think he's going to go up that high. I don't know, I guess the cards to keep an eye on, though, are, like, the the Titans, like, especially Inferno Titan, things like that, those are going up, so, I don't know, I guess if I was going to buy, like, Titans, I would pick up, like, the Frost Titans while that they're out of the spotlight now, and also Sun Titan while he's pretty cheap. And then we have... I also noticed, though, that the, uh, like, some of the, um, the Man Lands are going down, like, I'm looking at Raging Ravine right now, it's at 275. I would definitely say, if you don't have your full, your full set of Raging Ravine, you should grab those right now. Because all those world, Whirlwig lands, you can expect to be around for a long time and to be viable in pretty much any format. Well, this thing says it shows it's at 275 this week. Oh, yeah. Then we had a question from Joey in the clan. What's his username? That it's is like, his username. Like, isn't it Joey SKWT or something like that? Or SKWT? Joey, Joey SKWT1. Oh. Hey, yeah, oh, no. right there's no one. Can I ask his own question. Yep, just like easy has been here forever, but no one probably noticed that. Mm-mm. Um, mm-hmm. Have y'all talked about price uh, set prices? I think we just actually got to that. Sweet. Well, it was kind of like a multi-part question. Uh, one being, which sets are the most valuable in standard? Mostly standard is all I'm worried about. Well, obviously, people who play more extended than Legacy, that's a question for them. And what card value is averaged higher? Because if you're drafting, what the overall set is doesn't matter as much as the average value. Um, I think the thing to keep in mind with any set and value is that the newest set is always going to be worth the most. And or as 
time goes on, prices kind of go up and down. But, for instance, right now, uh, Zendikar World Wake, the price on that is slipping a bit uh, because it's going to be rotating out at the end of the year. And the amount of cards that are in there that will then move on to extended and legacy will then determine whether or not the price will actually stay where it needs to be or if it's going to completely drop. Yeah, and there are actually relatively few money cards in World Wake, you know, World Wake and Zendikar that you draft fairly often. Like, the only cards that are worth much in there are, like, Avengers, Zendikar, Vengevine, Jace, and the Lands. And the thing about those, though, is Vengevine will retain value because he actually has a place in Legacy. Uh, but I don't see Avenger of Zendikar once it rotates out of Standard saying much play. He doesn't get much play in Standard. Uh, even when they run him, they don't run four. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, we kind of talked about this. Like, World Wake is worth drafting in some ways just because of the fact that it's got Jace the Mind Sculptor, and that's like playing the lottery, as Pasta likes to phrase it. Uh, but overall, like, I've drafted this set quite a few times, and really there, there aren't that many money cards in there that make it worth drafting, I would say. Because Scars, to me, seems like the worst one in Standard. Scars held value probably not as long as like people wanted it to. I've noticed a lot of the cards, because I've been still buying cards lately and looking at prices, and I've been noticing a lot of the cards from Scars. They just continue to keep free-falling. I mean, you have Cough, which is actually went up, but it was at $15, and now it's probably 19 19 and a half. Um, Sword is... I mean, dropping down to nine, a little bit under nine, actually. Which one, the blue, green, or the black, green? Yeah, the scars, the sort of mirrored, uh, sort of uh, body of mind. And I haven't really figured out as far as besieged goes. Um, obviously, you have Tezzeret, who came out, you know, forty-five. I think he's around thirty-five-ish now. He'll probably maintain his value around thirty, thirty-five. I was thinking he probably will go up to 50 at some point when somebody wins something with him. And it's bound to happen with as many people as playing him. And then he'll, yeah, probably settle back down at 35 again. But, so you have that card. You have um, the Heroes, which I believe are between 7 and $8 a piece. Red and white ones. I really have the white one. And the white one's lower than the Hero Box of Ridge, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. My my initial investigation when they first came out, the the white ones were going for more. Uh, the red one has more uh, immediate impact, with, which is what red decks want. Uh, the white one is good. I do like him. Um, but I think red deck has been aggressive lately in trying to find the right mix to get its red deck wins back. Well, I played in a tournament last night, and a guy went... Um, all he had, I burned all his creatures. He had one step links. I was at 16 life. He played a Fetch Land and Hero of Oxid Ridge, and I was like at eight. Or popularity of Hero, Hero of Oxid Ridge is also going to affect cost price price drop, or the same uh, casting cost drop. Yeah, so I mean, he's better in he's like he's better in aggressive decks, which is what which is typically what they're played in anyway. Boros is like the top one of the top standard decks right now, and they really don't want Hero of Blade because it's just too slow, and they need the Oxid Ridge to get past like all the Squadron Hawks and all the one drops that are like all the one powered creatures and things that are going on right now. So he's actually a much higher impact card. Though I, I can potentially see. Depending on how like what the third set does and what even the sets after that do, I could see Bladehold 
creeping up, just depending on what like the meta looks like. But right now, the Oxyridge is definitely more relevant currently. And part of that might be Stoneforge and Squadron Heart for the white cards you put in your deck right now. Exactly. Um, but like, okay, so isn't um, so like when you go to draft? Obviously, you only get to draft one pack of Besieged. And it's probably worth more than... The cards are probably worth more than um, Scars. To me, it seems like that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think it might... could also just be that they're newer. Although we did get those um, Besieged, Besieged, Besieged drafts. And I honestly like those a lot more. You know, like, what, just, let's just go through the relevant cards and Scars. Like, what are the... Like, sort of body in mind, Venzer, Elspeth, Koth. Like, the only real cards in that set that are even remotely worth... Anything, anything. And only one of those is worth more than $10. Which is cough. Uh, Elspeth's at like... She's at like 8. Vincer's at maybe like 11. 11, 11. Nah, I bought one for 9 yesterday and there was a few of them at that price. Did the mox finally drop down under 10 bucks? I haven't really been paying attention to it. No, it's at 12. Alright, so yeah, mox is another good one. The Mox is kind of a staple to have two or three of in your affinity decks. It, it'd be worth even more if it wasn't legendary. It'd be worth twice as much. Well, yeah, but then it would be broken. Yeah, because yeah, it'd be twice as good, at least. At least. Yeah, because if you open two of them in your hand, good game. Well, as it is, that's the reason why affinity can run can afford to run more of them, because it's got a sack outlet. So it's like, oh, no, I drew another Mox. I already got one in play. I'll just put you know another token on my Ravager and then throw this in play. Uh, I did notice that uh, Skitherex was creeping up to seven dollars. Yeah, so I mean, I guess if we we're talking about sets to draft, I would say that none of the sets right now look that good to draft. But if I had to choose between the Zendikar block or Scars block, I would go with Scars for sure. What about M11? M11, I wouldn't draft only because we don't know what's sticking around, and whatever you draft in there, if any of it rotates out in the summer, you're going to be holding cards that no one's going to want to play with. Yeah, and the only relevant cards in that set are like Bane Slayer and the Titans. Also, the other thing to keep in mind is that you're not just drafting for value. You're also drafting to have fun. Um, and Zendikar Worldwick uh, tends to be less fun than some of the other sets you have out right now with options to draft. What makes you say that? I draft for value. All right. Uh, Zendikar Worldwick, it kind of rotate. It kind of revolves around whether or not you get the right mix of cards in your draft. And if you don't, then you're screwed. But, like, let's say uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, you had a lot of different types of decks you could build. So if you draft... You know, when you took an archetype and you're able to get, and you got the cards for it, you could still build and have fun. And the same could actually sort of be said for even uh, the Mirrodin set. But it always seemed like in in uh, Zen World Wake that if you were able to really get together a good ally deck, that you're going to crush everybody else. And if you're only able to get a smattering of allies together, that you probably weren't going to do as well unless you got just like a lot of bombs for some reason. I mean, it wasn't even about allies necessarily, though. I mean, the whole Zendikar thing was just about who could draft the most two drops. I mean, that's kind of what the whole format was about. Who could who could build the, the lowest curve and get out fastest? Yeah, I didn't draft much in the car. I mean, if I was going to go for pure fun, I would I would just go back and draft Rise of the Eldrazi over and over again because that was the most fun I've ever had drafting so far. Yeah, same here. Uh, what are the valuable cards out of that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, basically you had Vengevine, Gideon, and then, depending upon what your idea of value is, some of the um, legendary Eldrazi's have maintained their $8 price. 
I mean, but both both Gideon and Vinchvine are over 30 tickets right now, so, I mean, it's not, that's not bad value either. And Raya's just overall has a lot of really good cards in it. Yeah, you'd definitely be able to build more decks out of what you'd get uh, because you'd basically be able to draft your deck that you'd play. Uh, what's Eldrazi Monument? Uh, that's not in Rise of the Eldrazi. That actually came out of, I think, Zendikar. Yeah. But a few of the cards that you would get out of Rise of the Eldrazi set, um, on top of being valuable now, uh, will also retain value. Um, Emrakul, unless they eventually do something to him ban-wise, uh, he's pretty much played in every format at this point, as is Vengevine. Emrakul, the... Yeah, yeah, the giant fifteen fifteen guy. He's played in Legacy uh, and Vintage, also on Classic Online. Because people, he's the best creature to cheat in the play. Because once you get him into play, he's a, he's not the easiest thing to deal with because he can't be targeted by colored spells. So there's a few, and there's only a few cards that can deal with him. <clears throat> so he's a good finisher for older formats. So to wrap it up. Um... Mirrodin, Scar, Scars, probably still the most valuable to draft. They'll retain the value because they're gonna—they're not gonna rotate out at the end of the year. Uh, they'll won't rotate out until the end of next year, so they'll stay valuable for longer. Whereas uh, in October, a lot of stuff that's in Zendikar World Week might drop significantly just because it's no longer in standard. I would say, like, if they had a draft format that was Zendikar, World Wake, and Rise, I would draft that for value because those three sets combined should have enough cards that are. Should get you there, but just having to either choose between those two or go go scars block. I definitely choose to do scars block. So to start to move off a topic a little bit, what are some of the better archetypes for the scars Meriden besieged draft? Uh, mostly boils down to either are you going infect or are you not going infect. Uh, if you're going infect, your decisions are pretty easy to make. Uh, if you're not going in fact, uh, it gets a little trickier because then you have to look at are you going to try and get some battlecry guys in your deck? Are you going to try and go metalcraft? Uh, if you're going to try and go metalcraft, there's a certain threshold of artifacts you have to have in your deck, which I believe is 12 in order for your metalcraft to fire off consistently. Um, and then battlecry uh, depends on whether or not you're drafting enough weenies. I tend not to go in fact because every time I go in fact, I get burned. You might want to go. Either Metalcraft then, um, uh, or Battlecry. Um, also, something to look at with uh, drafting. At least I noticed this when I did the um, besiege, besiege, besiege draft. Is because Infect is perceived as being so good, you'll get a lot of people in your draft pool that will try and force green black, which means that they all end up with a relatively mediocre deck, and only one person ends up with some of the bombs. So it's easier to pick the other colors because you don't have as many people going after them. One thing worth mentioning about this format is that, like, there are, like, like Fraser was saying, like, three pretty, like, primary archetypes. Like, you have Poison, Battlecry, and Metalcraft. But there are a lot of variations of, like, those different archetypes. Like, if you just, like, straight up Poison, you can go, like, Black-Blue Poison and go, like, Poison Proliferate. Or you could just do, like, Black-White Poison with some of the new Mirrored Besiege cards. I mean, actually, there are, actually, there are a lot of, like, archetypes within these archetypes. So that's what makes it a bit... In some ways, it's a bit like more cut and dry than Rise because they had a lot more archetypes available to play in Rise, but they're a lot more nuanced in this one than they are in other sets. I think I get lost in it. My draft used to hover around 1780 and 1800, and now it's like 15, 
some 40 or some crap. Also, as usual, and this probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, uh, as with any draft, thing to keep in mind is you must get all of your removal ASAP. And the nice thing about Scar's block is that removal isn't just, you know, creature removal. Uh, it's artifact removal also, um, which means that White's got actually a pretty good advantage because of that, whereas Black, um, its main terror card can't get rid of artifact creatures. Crack back? Yeah, well, speaking of drafting, let me go ahead and do that. Crack away. What's going on? We always do a thing at the end of the uh, podcast called Crack-A-Pack, uh, where Dicacks will open up a pack, and they'll start with the commons and tell us what is in the pack, and we will judge whether it's something you would want to draft or not, and whereabouts you would want to draft it, if it's going to be your first pick or not. And which set are we doing? Mirrored and Besieged. Sweet. Let me finish making my t-shirt here. All right. I think someone's obsessed. Um, so the first common is Rally the Forces. Two and a red. It's an instant. Attacking creatures get plus one, plus zero, and gain first strike until end of turn. It's a good mid mid to late pick. Um, especially if you go on the battle cross strategy. But otherwise, pass it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I prefer to pull it late because it tends to go around the table quite a lot. And I've never yeah, actually yeah. played it in a, in a deck before, but it is a decent cyber card against certain poison strategies, and, like, I like the event so I can see how it could be really good in, like, a battle cry deck. Because you want to attack the The important part is first strike on the thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, a lot of times I, I I end up leaving a draft with two or three of these just because they go around the table so many times. I'm sorry, which card was that? I was not at the keyboard. Rally the Forces. Okay. And the thing with Battlecry is typically, like, you have a bunch of high-powered but low-toughness creatures, so they don't tend to survive combat. So that's why, like, you're saying first strike is so awesome. So you, you can feel safe attacking with all of your guys, all your Battlecry guys, and then putting first strike on them so that you, they don't die to a two-creature combat. But yeah, late pick Sorry, sure. working on my t-shirt. All right, the next comment is Locksmith Partisan, which is four and a white. It's a three-four with... Battle cry. Probably one of the worst uh, battle cry creatures in this set, honestly. Yeah, I've ended up with seven of him just because when I was doing primarily white drafts, I would always pick him because he was the only white card left in the pack to pick, and there was nothing else for me to hate draft, and then I never played him. So, yeah, very late in my opinion. Probably, I would not play him in most decks unless I really had to. You don't really want a five cast and cost three, four creature that does nothing for himself. This is my first attempt at a t-shirt. It's not exactly what I was going for. Oh, this is Cracker Pat. Crack Alright, the next comment is Tangle Mantis, which is two and two green. It's a three-four with Trample. I like this guy a lot. You like my shirt? No, it's Tangle Mantis. Alright, nothing about your shirt. <laughs> He's actually not that bad. Um, Trample's pretty good. I mean, he will fit in your not infecting strategy. And there's actually a pretty good amount of green fatties and besieged that you can partner up with. I've even, I've even seen him in fake builds just because he's a, he's a nice, cre- good creature and he, he, a lot of times he's like, he, a lot of times he acts as a wall. He just sits there and makes your opponent not want to attack while they're, they're attacking you with your infect guys. Yeah, my favorite archetype in, uh, when I was drafting triple mirrored and besieged was like blue and then green. Like blue-green just is amazing and Tangle, a Tangle Mantis with, like, the Fanger Marauders is that whole, like, the whole big, like, the big green creatures archetype is just 
I like that a lot, and that's a pretty sweet creature. He's a really efficiently costed, and he's pretty good at attacking and being defensive at the same time. Actually, now that I think about it, any any creature uh, in this block that has trample is actually at a larger benefit than any of the other ones, simply because of the amount of equipment that's in the block also. And the amount of one-toughness one creatures that can be created um, via the multiple token generators and mirrors as chump blockers, so it really helps. What what uh, would you say, Easy, um, or Song? <clears throat> what's what's key to those big dinosaur decks to keep from getting just blown out by a quick deck? I think when you draft those kind of decks, there's the tendency to pick up too, uh, creatures too early, like especially the higher costed ones. So like. You tend to pick up way too many six drops, way too many seven drops, and really neglect like the lower curve, and that's why you're kind of saying like the the whole idea really is just to like ramp up to those kind of decks. So like you really need like those Viridian emissaries, you really need like the the ramping spells, and you need to have a full curve. You just can't like mass up on those big guys because most of the time you're when you get those kind of archetypes going, you can you can always find big creatures like your six and seven drop spot. You're never gonna have trouble filling that up because there's always gonna be cards coming around to fill that up. I mean, there are only, like, maybe one or two cards that I'd ever pick up early for that kind of drop, and that'd be, like, the Fanger Marauders. So the rest of those, like, six drops could get, you know, late. But what you want to concentrate on early is just picking up your your mid-range guys, like your Tangle Mantises, your Viridian Emissaries, your removal, essentially, like, especially, like, Mortar Pods and Burning Empires and just things, like, to kill those, you know, the fast start decks the way you can actually survive to play your bigger guys. Another thing to keep in mind is that... Um... Not only do you want a few cheap creatures here and there to help out your curve, but it helps if they either have come-into-play effects or leave-play effects. Um, Reading Emissary, as Song said, is a good one because not only do you not mind him dying, you actually want him to die and because he does two damage to your opponent when they swing in. Sometimes it makes them not want to swing at you because it's like, well, I'm going to trade with this creature, but he's going to get a land out of it, so maybe I won't attack him this turn. So that buys you another turn to get your value out. Uh, Blue also has a good creature from Mirror of the Siege called um, Oculus. Oculus. Yeah, another one that's like, yeah, go ahead and attack. I'm going to draw a card. And yeah, an Oculus plus Divis section is an awesome combo. Oh, yeah. I'm not even going to let you attack. I'm just going to draw four cards. And our next common is Ardent Recruit, which is a 1-1 one, one for 1. It's got Metalcraft, and with Metalcraft, it gets plus 2, plus 2. He's a fairly decent creature. Uh, he's a good at that... that uh, Casting cost. He works well with white, uh, especially in Narrative Siege, because white's got um, that one other spell that allows you to drop two artifact guys and play a Master's Call, uh, as well as a bunch of equipment that's in this block that's cheap. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not a high pick, but if you can get the Metalcraft going, and you have, like, I kind of, I think I'd like to play him in, like, Battlecry, Metalcraft decks, because he is a, he does fit your curve very, very well, because it's always nice to start off with a one drop and just get in, you can get in probably, like, few points of damage just at the beginning of the game because you get started so early and eventually like late game he's pretty good you know a three you know a three three for one still pretty solid but not a not a very high pick I don't think no you'll see a lot of those coming around so you'll be able to pick them up when you need them and our next common is concussive bolt which is three and two red ouch but concussive bolt deals four damage to target player um, with metal craft. I've had people tell me this card is good, but I just, I've never had very much success with it. I've drafted it before, and I just think it costs too much, and it 
a lot of times you don't seem to get metal crap whenever you want to use it. With, uh, I don't know. It doesn't yeah, seem with, good to me. It's, I think it's metal craft ability is almost negligible. Uh, I've never seen anybody use that. What I've seen it used for is, is the extra bit of reach at the end of the game because one of the problems that fast decks have is that sometimes if you get all your creatures on board, you attack, you get your opponent down to like four or five life, but at that point he's been able to stabilize and he's gotten rid of your stuff and the control game is starting to work back in and you kind of are at a loss. Anything that allows you to reach into those extra few points of damage at the end of the game uh, is always good. I kind of disagree. Like, I... I actually have seen them use the Melkraft ability, and that's especially relevant in the aggressive decks. Just to get in those, like, when the everyone board starts to get cluttered, because they finally, everyone like, loves finally that. gets started, is when you really need this card, the way you can keep attacking and get your little guys back in there to, like you said, do that extra few points of damage. And I really, I would never play this card in a deck that I did not think I had a chance of reaching Melkraft in, because just as a four, as, like, a direct damage for four at for five is really, really weak. True, but it is direct damage. Uh, from what I've been noticing, the set doesn't have a ton of direct damage. Uh, this is funny. I was just realizing the uh, the flavor text on it is shock one, awe the rest. I I liked it a lot in the first the very first sealed event I did because uh, I won two matches in a row just by having Metalcraft having a bunch of guys out there at 16 life and they're dead. Because I couldn't block. But then it severely fa- started failing me. The uh, next common is one I'm sick of seeing, and I haven't done that many drafts, is uh, cost account, which is 5 and a black. It's a 4-4 four, four when cost account is put into the graveyard from the battlefield. Each player loses 4 life. Terrible. Yeah, I think I would, I would take a basic land over cost account. I think I'm going to do that from now on. I don't actually know how I got plot. I always end up grabbing like I always end up grabbing like four of them just because it's like the last card in the pack, and I never run any of them in a day. The next common is Mirror Sire, yeah. which is a one-one for two. When Mirror Sire is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, put a one-one colorless Mirror artifact creature token onto the battlefield. I actually really like that creature because it's two creatures for one, and uh, has some nice interactions with other things uh, like uh, other common, well, not commons but uncommons that you might see like Piston Sedge. You can sacrifice your dude to equip one of your other guys and sort of dude. Yeah, like Mortar Pod works well with him. I mean, they're, like, like I said, like, it's a very efficiently costed guy. You know, two mana for pretty much two one ones is awesome, and it's hard to kill, and he's an artifact, so it does Metalcraft. The guy just sticks around, and I don't know, the guy is just overall solid, so I would take not, I mean, he's like a, more of a mid range pick, but yeah, I never am disappointed with picking up him, and I always play as many as I draft. He's also a good creature for Metalcraft, because a lot of things that people do with Metalcraft is once you hit Metalcraft, if you've got cards on board that are a big threat, they're going to want to get rid of one of your artifacts, and they ain't going to get rid of him, because you're just going to get another one. Yep. Good point. And the next common is Unnatural Predation, which is uh, instant for one green. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. It's actually a great pick if you're running Infect, because it's the only way your Infect creatures are going to get trample outside of equipment, uh, and it's a combat trick, which helps. Yeah, I think outside of most Infect strategies, though, I wouldn't play that card. True. The uh, next common is Priests of Norn. Um, I guess you get two Priests. So, two and a white. It's a 1-4 with Vigilance and Infect. Priests of Norn, I think, is... Um, Something that when people first saw it, they undervalued it. 
uh, but I started seeing it getting snapped up a lot more in drafts. Uh, it's actually pretty good because you have a creature that has infect, which is, you know, good in and of its own. Granted, it's only infect for one, but it slowly whittles down whatever creature it chump blocks, uh, and it's got no attack, and it's got vigilance. Uh, if you manage to get an equipment on it, it's even more of a pain in the butt. Uh, it's actually pretty good, and it's only three mana. I don't really care for that card. Well, it, it's an alright card, but it, wait, it costs four, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of like... Okay, well, free something. It's still kind of a lot of mana just for one infect damage every turn, and then if it gets in a fight with another infect guy, it's like useless, and it just it's totally just sits there and does nothing. Yeah, but it's yeah, there for a couple turns, one four. Yeah, I mean, the point of the creature is to be to, to pretty much sit there and do nothing. I mean, that's kind of its its job. It's a wall. And it's probably one of the best walls in the in the, in the format. That's what I'm saying. Though. It only has one attack, so if it gets in a fight with anything that has effect, you know, it's gonna, it has no damage to deal with. Let's think about it from this point of view. Turn three, you get it on board. Turn four, you attack with it. Is your opponent going to block it? Well, they're not going to block it with one of his two twos because now his two two becomes a one one. So he's probably going to let it through and get hit for one. Then when you attack next turn, well, he still has to do with priest and art. So you're going to attack him with a two two that's going to get jump block by him. No, you're not going to attack either. So basically what you've done with your Priest of Norm, which is this crappy three-casting cost creature, is you've made him not want to block and not want to attack with one of his dudes. Exactly. The card is, the card is sick. And I, I can't even tell you like how many like, drafts I've played when I'm some kind of like aggressive like Battlecry deck, and I'm thinking, I'm doing really, really good here, but he would really screw up my game plan if he dropped the Priest of Norm in turn three. And typically they always do that, and then the game just like stalls off for a long time because that card can really just halt any kind of aggressive strategy just because... The fact that you don't want to attack into it, and like Pressure saying, you can't block, you can't attack, and you're just stuck there until you find a removal spell. And if you're going to run him, you're probably running the White Infect strategy, and the White Infect strategy is not very good unless you get equipment. Now, imagine getting a um, Flare Husk on him, or a Bone Horde on him, or, granted, those are, Bone Horde's rare, but imagine getting a Piston Sedge on here on him. So now you have a 4-5 Vigilance Infect creature that you really don't want to deal with. Because you're just going to have to deal with it every time you attack or block. And personally, I, I mean, I wouldn't only play Priest of Norn in that deck. I'd play him really in any deck that's playing white for the most part. Yeah, because he will chisel down anything that's not 4-4. And the next common is Serum Raker, which is 2 and a blue. It's a 3-2 with flying, and when Serum Raker is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each player discards a card. Mm-hmm. He is a flyer. He's forecasting cost. His, his other ability... Would be nice if it said your opponent discards a card, but because you have to discard a card as well, I think a lot of times he's just going to get a shot and make you discard a card. Yeah, but that's why typically when you, whenever you use him, you, that's, why, that's why you need to be paying attention to your land drop. So like typically late game, you just you just hold back a land and you don't play it. That way you have a card to discard if your Serum Raker dies. Like I like the card actually just because of the fact that he's, he's, in some ways he's kind of like your Viridian Emissary or your Priest of Norn and that the opponent doesn't really want to discard a card either, so sometimes they'll just take three damage in the air to avoid having to discard a card. True. And it's not like Blue's got a lot of counter spells in the set you actually want to play. And moving on to the uncommons, the first uncommon is Sphere of the Suns, which is two colorless. It's an artifact. Sphere of the Suns enter the battlefield tapped, and with three charge counters on it. Tap it, remove a charge counter from Sphere of Suns, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. It's pretty good for any color, any deck that's running more than one color, which is most of them. Not a bad ram spell. Uh, it's pretty pretty good for splashing. Definitely a good card for metalcraft. Uh, overall, I'd say it's a pretty it's a decent card. But I actually 
didn't find myself playing it as often as I thought I would, just because simply, I mean, whenever I'd see it in a pack, it'd also be just other cards that I would just kind of have more impact than Sphere of the Suns would. I think in Sun decks, it works very well. It's also good if you're in a proliferate strategy. I know it's not what you want to proliferate for, but if you're proliferating with other things, it's just another thing to get a token on. Sweet. And the next in common is Choking Fumes, which is two and a white. It's an instant. Put a one minus one minus one counter on each attacking creature. It's actually a really good one. Um, chops down any of the... Basically blows out a lot of effect strategies because those guys aren't very big to begin with, and it kind of ruins some battle cry strategies, too, that have, are relying on guys that have one defense. Kill signal pests pretty quickly, too, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite white removal spells. A very high pick, in my opinion. Good to know. Yeah, I think I've undervalued it. Oh, that's great. I think I ended up with three of them, actually, in one draft, and it was glorious. And our last uncommon is Gruesome Encore, which is two and a black. It's sorcery. Put target creature card from an opponent's graveyard under the battlefield under your control. It gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next instep. If that creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. Alright, this card is... It seems like it would be better than it is, but I don't think it actually is. Yeah, it sounds good, but it's not. Don't play that card. If it was an instant, it would be better, because then you could play it during your opponent's end step um, as an instant, and then have a creature to attack with. But because it's a sorcery, it's just kind of... What does the last sentence mean? If that creature... I mean, I know what it means, but why is it here? If that creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. Let's say I had a spell that allowed me to put it on top of my library. Um, Basically, Wizards has been getting better about trying to have their spells do exactly what they want them to do. Uh, Just to kind of go backwards. Uh, there's a spell called Corpse Dance, which allows you to take a creature out of your graveyard, throw it in play, use it, because it's got haste, and at the end of turn, you're supposed to exile it. That's all the card says, which means that if during your turn, you can sacrifice it and have it go back to your graveyard, or have the card go back up in your hand, it's not in play at the end of turn, so it can't get exiled. Um, Unearth was a little bit better about this, um, in that it actually said whenever the creature would leave, if the creature's still in play at the end of turn, then you exile it, or when the creature leaves play. That's basically trying to get even more verbose about it and telling you that if you somehow manage to get this creature to leave play, it doesn't matter. It's getting exiled. It's really wordy. Kind of has to be because there's so many ways you can cheat things. For for instance, one of my favorite things to do with uh, Corpse Dance is to Corpse Dance my um, Flesh Bag Marauder out of my graveyard because when he comes into play, he kills himself and makes everybody else sacrifice uh, cards. It means that every every single turn I'll have a five casting cost. Everyone sacks a creature spell. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Alright, and I think we probably have our first pick here. It's a bomb. <laughs> Rares uh, tend to be. Always. Um, it is Massacre Worm, 3 and 3 black. It's a 6-5. When Massacre Worm enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get minus 2, minus 2 until end of turn. Whenever a creature an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, that player loses two life. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though, because, like, going, just going through the, the cards so far, I mean, this pack has been pretty crappy. Just overall, it's been a terrible pack. Like, there's some okay cards in there, but not really anything good. Like, this rare would really have to be pretty crappy for me not to take that over the rest of the stuff in the pack. Um, 
as does a kind of a story. I actually had a NASCAR one in one of my Mirrodin Seas drafts, and uh, or not my Mirrodin Seas draft, um, my whole Scars of Mirrodin uh, block draft. And I actually had a game that went uh, that was decided by me dropping my Massacre Worm, um, but I was playing a uh, Infect deck, so my opponent didn't bother to block it the next turn, and I was able to do instill Infection on it and swing in for the win. There you go, so. Massacre Worm, Spice Elf, awesome. Just, just an awesome, awesome card. So, yeah, and the rest of the pack just being as bad as it is just makes it makes you even more thankful that you got it at least a good rare. And congratulations on getting a nice medal. All right, well, that's, I guess it. that's it, right? Yeah, it's been really good. It's been fun. I appreciate everybody joining us. Glad I could finally sit on one yeah. completion from the beginning. It's good to have you. I'm the I'm the baiting over if I want to join the Urza saga or what Urza's destiny uh, draft or not. Yeah, maybe you'll luck out and get a uh, laboratory. Uh, there's a few, isn't there? A few money rares in there. Yeah, actually, um, I think it's called Laboratory. Basically, all of the legendary lands that are in the, the Urza's block are uh, pretty, pretty high. This guy's cradle, Sarah Sanctum, and uh, is the other one? The other one's something Laboratory, isn't it? The blue one. Torn Academy, whatever it's called. That is Torn Torn Academy. That one's that one's the big one. Well, anyway, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna head out. So nice. Wait, did you see the T-shirts? Time. The picture, awful, yes, huh? I did see that. I mean, it's just the banner from the webpage on a guy's <laughs> chest. All right, take it easy. <laughs> All right, well, you keep working on that, bad guy. I'm going to break out my sewing machine and make one. <laughs> Na 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 na